Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. One of the major questions that every generation has tried to answer is, what is the good life? And so in our generation, the, the answers range um, all over the map. Uh, so if you watch commercials, the good life is, is drinking a beer on a mountain. It's uh, finding that special someone. It's a great pair of jeans. It's a new car. It's losing a bunch of weight. It's a dream job. It's, ma- it's making it big on social media. The good life is the title of multiple songs ranging from everyone from Tony Bennett to Kanye West to Miley Cyrus. It is the, it is the title of th- four different movies. It is the title of four different books. It's the title of one different play and even the motto of one of our 50 states. So, so everybody has an opinion on what the good life is, including Jesus, which he lays out at the very beginning of this teaching series that we are going through called the Sermon on the Mount, this section of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. But here's the thing about Jesus, and here's what makes him so challenging, is he's just not going to sprinkle in conventional wisdom. He's not going to add to that. Uh, He's going to replace it all together. That's what makes his teaching so unreal. That's what makes his teaching so challenging, so different than everyone else. The people that he spoke to, I mean, they're like, man, this guy speaks as one with authority. He's not like our teachers. He's not like our rulers. He's not like our gurus. He's something completely different. Jesus is not adding to a religious system. He's not putting in his two cents. He's absolutely dismantling, replacing, and taking everything that we have been taught to believe and turning it upside down. He's turning it on his head, both in what he says, and check this out, who he says it to. Um, Check out Matthew 4, 23. This is just before uh, this teaching. This tells us a little bit about who he's talking to. It says, and he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction among people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. This is like 100 miles from where he's at right now. And they bought him, they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. So the, the picture here isn't some serene moment. Like he's not given this teaching at some hotel, you know, like he's given a seminar and everybody gets got their notebook out. He is in the middle of raw humanity, people who have affliction of every single kind. People have been demon possessed, epileptics, paralytics, those whose society has cast to the side as rejects, the sat upon, the spat upon, the ratted upon, ratted upon as Paul Simon would say, you know, and this was not like an equitable society where, you know, with, you know, wheelchair ramps that are looking to see how they can help the marginalized, seeing how they can help the disadvantaged. In fact, if you were uh, disadvantaged, uh, the, the conventional wisdom is that you deserve that. Like this is your fate, like you've done something wrong. Um, and so their life was wrought with rejection, sorrow, and absolutely poverty. And Jesus begins this section of teaching 
talking about the good life, the blessed life. In fact, the Greek word here for blessed is like the highest possible well-being that you can have. And so Jesus is declaring to this group of people, declaring to this broad cross-section of society about how you can be blessed. And what Jesus is going to do today in our text, he's going to talk about how we experience this, how he speaks a word of, of confidence and faith and strength to anyone who would have the humility and the faith to believe. So how do we approach the world with confidence? How do we know that we have this blessed life? How do we maintain assurance regardless of what's going on in our world where you have zero hesitation in knowing that you are loved, that you are somebody, and that your life has a purpose and a meaning and your future is bright? That is what Jesus is going to do today. So we're going to walk through our text and uh, talk about a few things Um, and then we'll be done. So Matthew 5, 17, he says, do not think, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, by the way, is just basically the Old Testament. Because I have not come to abolish them. Check this out. I have come to fulfill them. Now, what Jesus was talking about with in the Sermon on the Mount was so radical, was so unique, was such a paradigm shifter. People thought he was just blowing up the Old Testament. Like he was just saying, we need to get rid of it. Um, but he says, look, I have not come to abolish the law and, and prophets. He says, what does he say he's going to do? He says he's going to fulfill them. He's going to complete them. He is going to complete what we call now the Old Testament. He's going to fulfill it. Now, the Old Testament can be summarized uh, with this statement that it is the old way of relating to God, which is based upon our performance. And now the New Testament or the New Covenant represents a new way of relating to God. And this is what he is ushering in, which is completely dictated and determined by the death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, upon the performance of Jesus. So Jesus says, I am coming to fulfill this old way of relating to God, uh, which we call the Old Testament, this old way that's based upon your performance, how you, you, know, you relate to God based on your performance, you relate to other people based upon your performance, and, and you relate your entire life based upon your own performance, your confidence, your self-worth, your identity is based upon your deeds, your performance, your ability to get it right. Now, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, it's beginning to unfold, uh, to describe, to explain, to declare a new way of living, a new way of being human being, a new way of confidence, not based upon our performance, but based upon his performance. And I've got good news for you. His performance is perfect. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he who knew no sin, he knew no sin, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the prophets. He who knew no sin became our sin so that we could have the righteousness of God. He says, it is finished. I have fulfilled the old way of relating to God based upon your performance. And I am ushering in a new way of living, a new way of operating based upon my performance. One of the reasons why Jesus calls the Old Testament Uh, the law and the prophets, is because he will not only fulfill all the rules, all the regulations, but he will fulfill the prophecies. In fact, there were more than 600 prophecies that he fulfilled while hanging on the cross for six hours. Now, to say that is a mathematical uh, impossibility is, is, is to say the least, but he did it. He means this literally. He is going to fulfill all of this. He's not going to 
abolish it. He's not getting rid of it. He's not saying, hey, you don't need that anymore. He's saying, I am fulfilling it. I am fulfilling it. And if, because I am fulfilling it is now based upon what I do, not based upon what you do. When something is fulfilled, it doesn't become irrelevant. So let me be clear. The Old Testament is useful in that it points us to the one who has fulfilled it, that is Jesus. So um, if you're not reading the Old Testament, you're missing some of the pieces of the puzzle. It's like watching the return of the Jedi without reading, you know, without watching Star Wars or the Empire Strikes Back. Because in the Old Testament, it's not just some old dusty law, but in there, there's promise. There's promise that points us to Jesus. I mean, in the very beginning in Genesis 3, uh, in Genesis 12, he comes to Abraham. He says, like, through your offspring will become a seed that will become someone who will, who will fulfill this promise. So on this side of redemptive history, looking back at what Jesus has done, we can see that this is all pointing to Jesus. Even uh, according to Hebrews 10, 4, the sacrificial system, it was never meant to be an end in of itself. It was meant to be a pointer. It was meant to be a shadow of something greater. That 2,000 years history of the sacrificial system was this multimedia presentation pointing us to the work of Jesus on the cross. So now we do read the Old Testament, but we read it in light of Jesus, which means the Old Testament is not about Noah. It's not about Jonah. It's not about Abraham. It's not about Moses, Elijah, or Ruth. It's all about Jesus. So Solomon were here. He would say that Proverbs is not about my wisdom and how you can have a better life. My wisdom is meant to point you to the ultimate wisdom, who is Jesus. David and Goliath is not how you can go out tomorrow, win the big account, even though you're the underdog. David and Goliath is about Jesus. Uh, it's, about, it's about the one, the only one who is both willing and able to take on our giants of Satan, sin, and death and was able to defeat him with one blow, a once and for all blow that, would, that while Satan would bruise his heel, he would crush his head. This whole thing is about Jesus and about what he is Fulfilling, And that is what he's saying here. He's saying, I have come to fulfill. I have come to fulfill. I am ushering something completely new where it's no longer about your performance, but it's about my performance. And then he expands on this for, in verse 18, he says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. What did Jesus say he's going to do with the Old Testament? He is going to accomplish it. So nobody mess with the law. No one changes the law. It is perfect just the way it is. And he, he goes again, verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes on one of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do the same. Okay, now this should perk our ears. Anyone who relaxes on what the scriptures have to say and teaches other people to relax on what the scriptures have to say. Whoever does them in, uh, is the least in the kingdom, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Well, there's only one who was able to completely do them and teach them, and that is Jesus. He's the great one. And so with the Pharisees, though, in this section, this is why he's saying this, the Pharisees do what we do all the time. And that is they were adjusting the law, manipulating the law to fit their own preference and their own 
performance. So instead of sitting under the law, they manipulated what it said. So the law sat under them, which makes sense if you're trusting your performance. So if the way that you get confidence, the way that you feel good about yourself is your ability to fulfill the law. I mean, you need to change it to fit your life. But the good news of the gospel isn't that he got rid of the law or that he adjusted the law or that he changed the law. The good news of the gospel is that he fulfilled the law on your behalf. And by faith, who trust in Jesus, his performance is imputed or accredited to your account as if you obeyed it just like Jesus did. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that he who knew no sin became our sin so that you and I could have his righteousness or his performance. This is why John's gospel says that he just doesn't teach the truth, right? He is the truth. It's why he doesn't just point us to the way. It says that he is the way. He is our righteousness. He is our performance. He is our confidence. And then Matthew 5.20, he goes on, for I tell you, so he's like, hey, look, if you want to, you know, if you want to base your life on your performance, let me tell you how good you have to be. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never make it. You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So just in case you're not picking up what I'm putting down, if you're trying to connect to God based on your performance, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And if you don't know about the Pharisees, it was their full-time job to obey the law. They were zealous in doing so. In fact, in Matthew 23, uh, we read that the Pharisees were tithing on their mint, on their dill, and cumin. So if your obedience is so meticulous that you tithe off your spice rack, right, you're zealous. And Jesus is like, unless you try harder than the people who try the hardest, you're not going to make it. And they're like, we can't do that. I mean, everything they do, their dress, their words, their prayer, their money, their, everything they do is to fulfill the law. The gap between the Pharisees and, the, and the, uh, the common person was astronomical. I mean, sometimes, you know, you look at me, you know, I'm the pastor, like, oh, you know, Brian, he seems pretty average. You know, if he could be a pastor, anybody could be a pastor. And I get that. You would not think that way about the Pharisees. Everything that they did, even in their dress and their speech, it was so ornate. It was just communicating that they are different, they are, that they are above, and that they are better than. And even in their word, you know, bless you, my child. Like, they just had a way of talking that just communicated there is a gap between how they perform and everyone else. And Jesus is saying that you have to do better than them. Now, there's a couple things going on here. Jesus is doing two things. Number one, he's communicating to them and he's communicating to us. The best of the best of the best is not enough to gain favor with a relationship with God. Not even Close. Now that was a newsflash to them. But what was even a bigger newsflash is they were saying this entire approach that the, the nation of Israel had built their entire identity around. And if we're honest, we build our entire identity around our performance, our job, our abilities, our reputation, our resume. Say this, this entire way of relating to God is beginning to become irrelevant. And it's no longer based upon what you do. It's based upon what I do. And now this was devastating news, especially to the Pharisees who built their life upon this. This is why they wanted to kill him. Jesus is saying that your performance, everything that you're building your life around, man, if that's your hope, 
you're never, ever going to get there. And he's like, okay, look, if you're still not getting it, let me explain a few things. And he goes on in a section of uh, a scripture where he says multiple times, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, this is a standard, but I tell you, this is a standard. And we'll go through this over the next couple of weeks. You know, you think it's like, it's bad to murder. Like I say, it's actually the hate in your heart. You say adultery, I say lust. And he just goes on. He just ups the game, ups the game, ups the game until the final crescendo in verse 48. He says, look, if you're still not picking up what I'm putting down, let me just knock this thing out. He says, therefore, you must be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. You want a life based upon your performance? Here's how you enter the kingdom of heaven. Just be perfect, just like God is perfect. And we're like, God, I can't be perfect. He's like, yeah, I know, but that's my standard. Well, what do I do? I mean, I you know, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to be, how am I supposed to earn your favor? How am I supposed to build confidence? What am I supposed to do? I already told you to be perfect, right? I can't be perfect. He's like, yeah, I know you can't be perfect, but you still have to be perfect. Well, I can't be perfect. Like if, if, if I have to be perfect, I need like a, a superhero or something. I need someone to, to save me. And Jesus is like, come again. Well, I, I can't do this. I, 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 it's impossible. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm here. You, you need me. That's exactly where Jesus wants us. Jesus wants us to be in this place where we're like, this is impossible. I can't do this. I can't be a good person. Some people come to me all the time and say, Brian, I'm trying. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to be a good person. And I'm like, hey, I, I hate to break to you. The trying is the problem. The fact that you still have energy, that you still have motivation to think that you, somehow you can pull this off. I mean, in, in Isaiah 55, the prophet says, why do you buy bread that doesn't satisfy? You've got resource, you've got energy, you've got some way of trying to think that you can earn us. Why are you expending energy? Why are you spending money from something that ultimately isn't going to work? You aren't good enough. You will never be good enough, good enough. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, resurrection is that you don't have to be because Jesus was on our behalf. So maybe you're here and you're feeling weak, that you're feeling like the end at the end of your rope. That's exactly where Jesus wants you. Jesus wants you to, Jesus wants to take you to the end of your rope, because that's where his power kicks in. That's where his rope begins. That's where you begin to reach out and grab a hold of Jesus. I said this before, there is no such thing as a season of weakness. There's this whole time, there's, a whole, there's this whole lifetimes of that. So like even in this year, you know, we just look back at 2020, you think like, man, in 2020, I felt weak. What you experienced was not a season of weakness. What that was is a season of clarity. Things were stripped back for you and you were able, your weakness was exposed. It didn't make you weak. It exposed the fact that you are weak. And perhaps, and this is a gift to you, you saw for the first time or maybe in a long time just how much you need him. 2020 might have been a reminder to us that a, a life built upon our performance is like a house built on the sand, which Jesus will say later in Matthew 7, that when storms come, like 2020 or whatever your storms may be, Maybe it's more personal. Maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe it's sickness. 
that only a life built upon his performance do you stand on the solid rock. Nothing will move it. Nothing will cause it to flinch. In fact, when storms come, when your life is built upon Jesus and not you, when storms come, it actually builds your confidence because you realize in the middle of a storm that you're not moving, that you don't budge. And you realize that, man, if he's for me, who could be against me? Just a few things in closing here I'd like to apply this. Number one, don't mess. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, don't mess with the law. Let me just be real quick. Don't mess with the law. Don't mess with God's word. Don't mess with the truth of what God's justice and expectations are. People do this all the time. They want to change the Bible so it affirms their humanity. This Bible was never meant to affirm your humanity. This Bible was meant to frustrate your humanity to show you that you need Jesus, to show you that you'll never be good enough. But the good news of the gospel that says that even though that all have sinned, that all fall short, that Jesus was willing to die for us, not when we finally figured it out, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we need to not adjust it, to not move it, to, uh, but we need to not mess with the law. The law is perfect. It's us that isn't perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Don't, just, don't change the law. We need to change ourselves. Number two, strength and confidence replaces weakness as fear and weakness and fear as we look to him. So if you're fear, feeling weak, if you're feeling fearful, the, conflict, the, 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 the idea isn't to become a better you. The idea is to take your eyes off you and look to him. Number three, our preoccupation and invitation to others is to point them to Jesus' performance and not our own. It is not a coincidence that this section of scripture comes after Jesus talking about how we are salt and light. We are not the light, Jesus is the light. We are not uh, self-made salt, Jesus makes us salt. It's about him, it's not about us. So we point people, not like, hey, look, look at us, look how good we are. We say, hey, there's room at the cross, there's room Jesus died for you. He paid the price for you. And number four, the key to confidence is not to think about what makes you strong. Barb said this in so many ways. The key to confidence isn't to think about what makes you strong. The key to confidence is to think about what makes you weak. Can I just encourage you, Christian, to not be afraid to feeling weak? Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Don't be afraid to be weak. The cross is the symbol, is the, is the place of, the, of ultimate weakness. A man's arm stretched out, crucified to the cross, bleeding and dying for us. This weakness is not something we should shy away from. Romans 1.16 says the gospel, this, that Jesus died for our sin, his death, burial, and resurrection for our sin, for our uh, for our righteous and confidence. This is something we should not be ashamed of for that is where the power of God is. And if you want the power of God in your life, do not shy away from you being exposed as weak because when we are weak, when we know our weakness, Jesus is strong. And then finally, if you're gonna live this way, if you're gonna live this way, you're gonna need Christian community. You're gonna need, if you're not in a group, you're gonna need to get in a group. And if you are in a group, you're gonna need to bet more engage that group. In Hebrews 10, 19 to 25, I'll end with this. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have this confidence to enter this holy place by the blood of Jesus, 
Where do we get our confidence? By the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for this. This is what he's talking about in Matthew 5, this new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast to, uh, to the confession of hope without wavering. What is our confession? Our confession is not that we are good in and of ourselves. Our confession isn't about our performance. Our confession is that we fall short, that we are weak and we are trusting in Jesus. May we hold fast to that confession. Well, how do we hold fast to that confession? Verse 24, we must consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The key to our performance, the key to our holding fast is not to look to ourselves, but it's to look to Jesus. And you need someone in your life pointing you, pointing you, pointing you to Jesus. I need someone in my life. You need someone in your life. We need each other. Let me pray for us. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your grace in our life. I just thank you for your gospel. If there's anyone here, I just want to invite you right now. If there's anyone here who's like, man, I've, I've always trusted in myself. I've always trusted in my performance. I've never trusted in his performance. It doesn't matter who you are. You could be the spat upon, uh, the ratted on. You could be the lowest. You may think you're the highest, whoever you are. We all fall short. Our best efforts are like filthy rags. If you're willing to admit your weakness, if you're willing to say, yeah, I need Jesus. I need to trust. I want to trust in his performance. Just, it's, it's so important that you identify yourself to say, yeah, that's me. You're, you're saying to others and you're saying to yourself, like, yeah, I, I, I wanna trust in Jesus. I wanna trust in his performance. And the Bible says that if you uh, believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that you are saved, that you have received this, not based upon you, not based upon your works, but based, based upon what Jesus has done for you. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters, uh, those who have just received you and those who have received you 20, 30, 40 years ago. God, our confession is still the same. It's the same today as it was the day we first declared our trust in you, that we are not trusting and what we do. It's not like you clean our bad record and now it's up to us. This life is about clinging to what you have done. Your law is perfect. We declare that. We declare your word is perfect. May we not adjust one dot, one iota. It's perfect. And Lord Jesus, we, we, we realize that we fall short. And, and God, we need you. We trust in you. We thank you that you have made us righteous, that you have made us perfect. We're no longer sinners. We are, we are saints justified by you. And you are changing us from one degree of glory to the next. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done in our lives. Amen.